نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whether Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger this evening bi-ibnillahi ta'ala we would like to continue in our series concerning the explanation of the essay of al-imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah entitled Nawaqid al-Islam and we have mentioned previously some of the issues related to the things which nullify someone's Islam and some of the important uh, some of the most important and common actions that a person might fall into that causes the nullification of his Islam in this lecture we would like to take the fifth naqid or the fifth nullifier of Islam that which Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah has entitled من أبغض شيئا مما جاء به الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم ولو عمل به كفر that whoever, whoever hates, detests, abhors anything anything whatsoever of what the Prophet ﷺ has come with meaning that which he has come with of the deen of Allah, al-Islam or the sharia of Allah or the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ whether it is of the obligatory things or whether it is of the preferable, commendable things whether it is of that which is prohibited or that which is detested Whatever he has come with from the deen of Allah, from the sharia, al-sharia al-islamiyya or the authentic sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam whoever hates it, whoever detests it, whoever abhors it even if that person acts in accordance with it then this person has fallen into kufr has fallen into kufr indeed this is a matter of great importance to understand those things which nullify a person's Islam and of the most dangerous of them is the one which we want to discuss this evening that is the hatred or the detest one who detests or abhors that which has come in the deen of Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Muhammad chapter 47 verse 8 and 9 وَالَّذِينَ that those who disbelieve, for them is destruction, for them is destruction. And Allah makes their deeds vain, useless, 
he makes their deeds to be of no use to them. ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَرِهُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ فَأَحْبَطَ عَمَالَهُمْ The reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has threatened them with punishment and has announced that their deeds would be in vain, it is because they hate. ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَرِهُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ Because they hate what Allah has revealed. They hate what has been revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. They detest it. And because of their hatred, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused their deeds to be fruitless. فَأَحْبَطَ عَمَالَهُمْ Their deeds are useless. There is no benefit. There is no reward from them. Even though this ayat is revealed about the disbelievers, it is clear that it is referring to those who claim belief and who really have nifaq, hypocrisy, because the deeds that are invalidated or nullified, that are fruitless, they are not the deeds of the kafir, because the kafir's deeds are already useless. No deed is acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except that they fulfill two conditions, that the person has done it sincerely for the sake of Allah, as a mu'min believing in Allah, and then that they have done it in accordance with the sharia or the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu However, what is meant here is the good deeds, the good deeds that they have done, they are useless because, because of the hypocrisy, the nifaq that is in their hearts in hating that which Allah has revealed. This is something which the scholars have come to consensus about, to dislike anything which the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have come with, whether it is from his sayings or actions. This is a type of hypocrisy in belief and nifaq al-i'tiqadi. It is a type of hypocrisy in belief which subjects the one possessing it to be in the lowest degree of the fire. And al-nifaq al-i'tiqadi, it is different from al-nifaq al-amali. Al-nifaq al-amali, it is that a person does the actions or the deeds of the hypocrite such as when he speaks he lies, or when he promises he breaks his promise, or when he is entrusted with something he violates it. This is hypocrisy, nifaq in actions. However, what we are talking about here is al-nifaq al-i'tiqadi, that the person's aqeedah, their belief, it is, this is containing the hypocrisy. It is that they claim to believe in Allah. Not like those who believe in Allah, but their iman is weak, and therefore they do some of the actions of the disbelievers or the hypocrites. But this person claims to believe in Allah, while in fact they disbelieve in Allah and they hate that which Allah has revealed. Mm-hmm. Some of the scholars said that al-nifaq al-i'tiqadi is of six types, and from amongst them is the one who rejects or disbelieves in that which the Prophet ﷺ has come with. And from amongst them is the one who rejects or disbelieves in some of what he has come with. Yani those who reject the Prophet ﷺ in totality, or they reject some of what he has brought. And likewise, from amongst them is the one who uh, hates what the Prophet ﷺ has come with, or they hate the Prophet ﷺ himself. And likewise, from amongst the types of al-nifaq al-i'tiqadi, it is to be pleased or happy with the decline or the disgrace of Islam, and to be displeased with the success or the victory of Islam. All of these are types of 
النفاق الاعتقادي يعني hypocrisy in one's aqeedah in their belief and that is different from the one who does the actions of the hypocrites while indeed believing in Allah even if their iman is weak uh, it has been reported authentically in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari rahimahullah on the authority of Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said man raghiba an sunnati falaysa minni whoever is not pleased with my sunnah whoever turns away from with displeasure whoever turns away from my sunnah to something other than it being displeased with what the Prophet sallallahu have brought then this person is not of me he is not one of my followers and this is in accordance with the ayah that we have mentioned that the deeds of a person would be invalid would be rejected would be fruitless if they hate what Allah has revealed as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in that ayat ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَرِهُ مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ it is because they hate and detest what Allah has revealed therefore the Prophet wasallam, he said that whoever is not pleased with my sunnah that which I have brought and here the sunnah it means the tariqah of the Prophet wasallam. it doesn't mean that which is the opposite of obligatory the voluntary extra deeds but here my sunnah it means my way it means al-islam in its totality whoever is not pleased with the islam that he has brought with the sharia of Allah whoever is not pleased with it then he said he is not of me فَلَيْسَ minni. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani rahimahullah in his explanation of this hadith in his book Fakhal Bari the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari he said the meaning of sunnah here in this hadith it is at-tariqah or the way not the opposite of al-fard the obligatory things and the meaning of raghiba an man raghiba an sunnati the meaning of raghiba an it means to turn away from something not being pleased with it turning away from it to something else as for the words falaysa minni then he is not of me if that turning away was due to misinterpretation not intentionally rejecting the sunnah then that person might be excused for it however the original meaning of laysa minni falaysa minni he is not of me the original meaning of this expression is that he is not following my way or my path but this does, this does not necessitate that such a person be considered outside of Islam even though such turning away or abstination may in fact lead to the belief or the atiqar it might lead to the belief that what he is doing is weightier or preferable to the sunnah if it leads to that and in that case if the person turns away from the sunnah believing that what they are turning to and giving preference to over the sunnah is better than the sunnah in that case here the meaning of falaysa minni it is that he is not a part of my millah he is not a part of my deen meaning he is not a muslim since believing such a thing is a type of kufr and whoever believes that to turn away from the sunnah or the deen of Allah to something else thinking that thing is better than indeed this is kufr the examples of this are many and perhaps the most obvious of them are those things which Allah has ordered the Muslims with or he has prohibited us from and yet we find it common and widespread in the Muslim society in the Muslim countries and elsewhere amongst the Muslims today it is not permissible to dislike or detest anything of what the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has brought 
from amongst the examples of that which is detested and hated, though Allah has legislated it, it is the unlawfulness of musical instruments, al-ma'azif, or the command, the order to grow the beard, al-lihya, or the prohibition of allowing one's garment to hang below the ankles, isbal al-izar, or the unlawfulness of the meat of the beasts of prey, or the predatory animals, or domesticated donkeys, and the unlawfulness of riba, of both, both types, both types of riba, of riba, whether it is riba al-fadl or riba al-nasi'ah. And these two types of riba are coming in the world today. The first of them, or the second of them, is more coming, riba al-nasi'ah, that is, the interest that a person pays when they receive a loan and they pay back the loan that they have received in addition to an increase above and beyond what they have been given because they are given some time to pay it back. In exchange for that time they are paying back extra money. This is prohibited and this is what is most common in the world today that a person takes a loan from someone and they pay it back after some time with an addition to the amount which they have received. As for riba al-fadl, it is when people exchange in barter similar items, but one being of better quality than the other, and therefore that person who gives the item which is of better quality receives in exchange for it a larger amount of the same item which is of a lesser quality. Yani if a person had a good quality of dates, for example, and they sold it to someone, they bought it with them for a cheap quality of dates and they took for one kilo of the good quality, two kilos of the uh, poor quality, this is also riba and it is prohibited in Islam. Uh, these matters or these examples which we have mentioned have been discussed on other occasions in detail, however just a brief mention of the references for them so that the matter is crystal clear. Uh, the Prophet وسلم, he said concerning al-ma'azif, musical instruments, لَيَكُونَنَّ فِي أُمَّتِي أَقْوَامٌ يَسْتَحِلُّونَ الْحِرَى وَالْحَرِيرِ وَالْخَمْرِ وَالْمَعَازِفِ The Prophet وسلم, in the hadith that is reported by al-Bukhari, and that hadith is sahih, even though it has been contested by some of the scholars who are not specialists in the science of hadith such as Al-Imam Ibn Hazm. However, this hadith has been declared to be sahih by the major scholars of hadith and including from amongst them Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajj Al-Asqalani in his checking of the Sahih of Al-Bukhari and narrating innumerable chains of narration for this hadith which show that the chain is complete and that it is sahih. In that hadith, the Prophet said that there will be at some time, yani sometime in the future, there will be some people from my ummah, from the community of Muslims, who will seek to make lawful. Yani they will seek to make something which is unlawful, they will declare it to be lawful. And from amongst the things that he mentioned is fornication. And the wearing of silk, here meaning by men, because silk is allowed for women. Wine drinking, or yani intoxicants, and the use of musical instruments. And the other hadith concerning this, yani there are many, including reports from the Sahaba and the Tabi'een, 
and the opinions of the four Imams, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, and Al-Imam Malik, and Al-Shafi, and Ahmed, Rahimahumullah, all of them are agreeing upon the ruling concerning musical instruments, yani playing them or listening to them, that it is forbidden in Islam. Also concerning the shaving of the beard, it is reported authentically in the Sahih of Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam from Abdul ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he ordered he ordered us أنه أمر بإحفاء الشوارب وإعفاء اللحية that he has ordered us that we should trim the mustache closely and let the beard grow it is further reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has said act contrary to the polytheists the mushrikeen and trim closely the mustache and grow the beard. Yani khalifu al mushrikeen. We should oppose the way of the disbelievers, the pagan disbelievers. And what is required in this case in opposing the disbelievers is to trim the mustache and grow the beard. Likewise, of the common sinful acts of the people of today amongst the Muslims everywhere in the world is isbal al izar or letting the lower garment hang below the ankles. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in an authentic hadith he is reported to have said Al-Izar ila nisfi al-saq aw ila al-ka'bain la khayra fi asfala min dalik and in another narration it is reported that he said wa ma asfala fin nar yani the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said the lower garment of the Muslim should be halfway down his legs halfway down the shank and there is no blame if it extends between that and the ankles yani halfway down it is the preferable situation and anywhere up until the ankles between halfway down up to the ankles it is permissible there is no harm in it but below the ankles that is what is prohibited the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith whatever hangs below the ankle is in the hellfire and this hadith has been reported in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood and it was authenticated in the Sahih of the Sunan al-Abu Dawud of Shaykh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani Rahimahullah uh, As for the matters of interest they are well known and the Muslims know the ruling concerning this and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran and what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have said in the authentic hadith warning against and prohibiting any involvement whatsoever in interest. In one of the hadith it is reported that the Prophet ﷺ said that interest it is of 60 or 70 some odd degrees and the least of it, the least of them, it is like a man having sexual relations with his mother. Also of the matters that are disliked by many of the Muslims today, one of those matters especially it is detested by the hypocrites and the kuffar, the disbelievers, not to mention those from amongst the Muslims who don't understand. It is ta'addud, az-zawjat, or plural, marriage. Indeed, the so-called intelligent or modern writers, even from amongst the Muslims, who have been nourished by the philosophy and the writings and the teaching and the ideas of the Europeans, they have completely divorced themselves from everything related to Islam. These people fight against this plural marriage 
with every means available to them and it is as though they don't know that they are opposing Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and rejecting the command of Allah. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Quran in Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 3 وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا تُقْسِتُوا فِي الْيَتَامَى فَانْكِهُوا مَا طَابَ لَكُمْ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ مَثْنَى وَثُلَاثَ وَرُبَعَ That if you fear that you shall not be able to deal justly with the orphan girls, yatama, those who don't have anyone to take care of them, then marry. If you cannot deal justly with them, if you will not treat them rightly because they are orphans and they are weak and you might take advantage of them, then if you will not treat them rightly, then marry other women. Don't marry them unless you will be just to them. Marry other women then if you will not be just to them, two or three or four. يعني مثنى وثلاثة وربعة Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you should marry the women, two or three or four. And this is the ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of the worlds. Uh, but if you fear that you will not be able to deal justly with them, then only one, or the captives, or the slaves that your right hand possess. And this is nearer to prevent you from doing injustice. <laughs> Similar to those in falling into kufr by hating that which Allah has revealed, by detesting that which the Prophet ﷺ have come with, are those who detest the fact that the status of the women is not the same as the status of the men. They detest the fact that the dia for women, the blood money which must be paid for the person killed accidentally, they don't accept the idea that the blood money for the woman is half the amount of the blood money for the man. They also detest the fact that the shahada, the testimony of two women takes the place of the shahada or the testimony of one man. And they claim that these and other rulings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of the worlds, that these rulings are unjust that they are unjust and they are unacceptable in the modern world that we are living in today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verse 282 shahidaini min rijalikum fa'in lam yakuna rajulaini farajulun wa mra'atan mimman tardawna min ash-shuhada an tadilla ihdahuma fatudhakiru ihdahuma al-ukhra and get two witnesses from amongst your men. Yani when there is a need for somebody to witness something, to be witnesses, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered, وَاسْتَشْهَدُوا شَاهِدَيْنِ مِنْ رِجَالِكُمْ That you should take two witnesses from amongst the men. However, if you don't find two men, then one man and two women, yani two women, one man or two women, two women taking the place of one man, two men or one man and two women, such as you agree for witnesses. So that if one of them, yani one of the two women, errs or forgets, the other can remind her. Al-Shaykh Abdurrahman Al-Sa'adi, Rahimahullah, one of the great scholars of this contemporary time, in his tafsir of the Qur'an explaining this ayah, he says that the testimony of two women takes the place of one man in matters related to worldly affairs al-huquq al-dunyawiyah in matters related to worldly affairs but as for the religious affairs al-umur al-diniyah such as the narration 
of the sayings of the Prophet and the legal rulings and fatwa indeed in these matters the woman's position is just as the man's yani in the worldly affairs in the matters related to dunya al-huquq al-dunyawiyya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by his wisdom by his wisdom he has reduced the amount of responsibility on the woman by allowing two women to take the place of one man so that if one of them forgets or errs the other one will remind them so that the burden and the responsibility of shahada is not upon the woman the weightiness of it is not upon the woman as it is upon the man it doesn't mean that the woman is less than the man but it is Allah's rahmah it is his mercy to the woman in this matter however in the more important matters in the umur al-diniyya in the matters of deen the narration of the hadith of the prophet sallallahu there's no difference between the woman who narrates a hadith and a man who narrates a hadith there's no difference between them. The narration of the woman who is thiqa, who is acceptable and trustworthy and responsible, is equal to the narration of the man. And likewise in fatwa, in giving legal rulings, the fatwa of the woman who is a scholar is no different than the fatwa of a man who is a scholar. And the proof of this is that many, many from amongst the companions or from amongst the tabi'oon who came after the companions of the Prophet ﷺ used to seek fatwa from Aisha radiallahu anha because of her knowledge of the sharia and her knowledge of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So as Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di rahimahullah he said that in these words فَإِن تَضِلَّ إِحْدَاهُمَا فَتُذَكِّرُ إِحْدَاهُمَا الْأُخْرَى he said in these words, so that if one of them, yani one of the two women, errs or forgets, the other can remind her. He said in these words, there's an indication of the wisdom behind the legislators requiring the testimony of two women in place of the testimony of one man. And it is due to the fact of the weakness of the women's memory, generally as compared to the strength of the memory of the men. Yani that it is a matter of memory and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he has reduced the responsibility uh, that goes along with giving testimony upon the women he has made it less than that which is upon the man likewise the hatred of the disbelievers and the hypocrites for the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that with which he has brought in the sharia of Allah from amongst those things that are not in agreement with their defective, poisoned and sick minds. They have spoken out against the, the great hadith of the Prophet ﷺ reported by Imam Muslim rahimahullah, in which it is reported that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Ya ma'ashar al-nisa tasaddiqna wa akfirna al-istighfar O women, give charity and acts much forgiveness, plentiful. He said, فَإِنِّي رَأَيْتُ كُنَّا أَكْثَرَ أَهْلِ النَّارِ He said, indeed I have seen that you are most, you are the majority of the people in the fire. Indeed, the people of intellect and rationale who give preference to the intellect over the Sharia of Allah and the knowledge and the wisdom of Allah, they have a problem with this hadith of the Prophet he said that you should give an increase in charity and seek forgiveness of Allah more and more. For I see that you are most or the majority of the people of fire, the women 
فقالت المرأة منهن a woman from amongst them jizlatan a woman from amongst them who was a, a woman of sound judgment and, and, and mind she said qala she said faqalat this woman she said wama lana ya rasulullah akthara ahlinna what is with us what is wrong with us what is it about the woman that makes us to be the majority of the people in the hellfire the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said takfurna al-la'na وَتَكْفُرْنَا الْعَشِيرَةِ It is for this reason that you curse so much and you are ungrateful to your husbands. It is ingratitude to your husbands and due to the use of language, cursing, the la'na. It is for this reason. And this woman, when she asked, when she asked, she brought out the reasoning and the wisdom or the, the cause of the women being the majority of the people in the hellfire. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this hadith, he said, مَا رَأَيْتُ مِنْ نَاقِصَاتِ عَقْلٍ وَدِينٍ أَغْلَبَ لِذِي لُبٍ مِنْ كُنَّا He said, I haven't seen anyone overcoming or getting their way with the wise more than you, meaning the women. And this, he said, in spite of the fact of your being نَاقِصَاتِ عَقْلٍ وَدِينٍ in spite of the fact that you are having some defect or lacking in objectiveness and falling short in the performance of religious duties. And this part, this part of the hadith, it is particularly troubling to the people of intellect. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that I haven't seen anyone like you overcoming the men more in spite of the fact that you are naqisat, aqlin wa the people understood this to mean that the Prophet وسلم, is saying that the woman's intellect, aql, it is defective. It is not like the aql of the man, it is defective. And that hadim is also defective, that the woman cannot be as intelligent as the man, and the woman cannot be as religious or righteous or pious as the man. However, this is not the meaning of the words of the Prophet Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made the man more righteous than the woman, but every individual according to their relationship with Allah, their fear of Allah, their taqwa and their iman, and their actions and their deeds and their ibadat and ta'at, it is according to their worship of Allah and their obedience to Allah that they will, ha- that they will have completeness of being. That w- the woman, she said to the Prophet Qalat, Ya Rasulullah, وَمَا نُقْسَانُ الْعَقْلِ وَالدِّينِ يعني What exactly is this نُقْسَان, this lacking or this defect in the aql, in the, in the intellect, and this defect or shortcoming in the deen? The Prophet ﷺ clarified what he meant by this. And he made it clear that it isn't something that the woman herself is blamed for. The woman is not blamed for the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created her according to his wisdom with the best of creation. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَمَّا نُقْسَانُ عَقْلِهَا فَشَهَادَةُ الْإِمْرَأَتَيْنِ تَعْدِلُ شَهَادَةُ رَجُلٍ فَهَذَا نُقْسَانَ الْعَقْلِ He said that the نُقْسَانَ الْعَقْلِ يعني it is indicated by the fact that the testimony of two women is equal to the testimony of one man. That is the indication of the muqsan in the aql, yani the lacking 
in objectiveness or the lessening of the responsibility that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed on the women in comparison to the responsibility that he has placed on the men. The Prophet ﷺ continued by saying, وَتَمْكِثُوا الْلَيَالِي لَا تُصَلِّي وَتُفْتِرُوا فِي رَمَضَانِ فَهَذَا نُقْصَانُ الدِّينِ He said additionally, you pass some nights and days in which you do not perform the prayers. Yani when the woman is in the condition of menses or when she is in the condition after childbirth. He said that you pass some days in which you do not perform the prayers. And in Ramadan, there are days during which you do not observe the fast. Due to a condition that Allah has created them upon, and that they are not blamed for, He said that you have missed some of the prayers, and you have missed some of the fasting, and this is what is referred to as nuqsan ad-deen, falling short in the performance of religious duties. Yani the nuqsan al-aql, it means that the woman, that she is lacking in objectiveness in comparison to men in general. And some of the scholars said that this may be because it is the nature of the human being in the human society all over the earth, not only in the Muslim land, when they are upon their natural condition, that the man is the one who goes out of the house and deals with the society while the woman remains at home. Therefore, the man is more trained in being objective and dealing with the world than the woman is. For this reason, the woman may be less objective or the woman might be more emotional because Allah has created her in a way that she is more emotional than objective because her responsibility in taking care of the children and raising them requires such. Al-Imam Al-Nawawi rahimahullah in his sharh in the explanation of this hadith of sah- that is reported in the Sahih of Muslim rahimahullah he said the saying of the Prophet sallallahu you are lacking in objectiveness or nuqsan al-aql. It is fi shahada. It is in the giving testimony. He said it is indicated. What is the meaning of this nuqsan or lacking in aql? It is indicated by the fact that the testimony of two women is in the place of the testimony of one man. Here the Prophet ﷺ was drawing attention to the reason or the reasoning behind the ruling that the testimony of two women stands in the place of the testimony of one man. And its reasoning is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has drawn attention to in his book, in the Quran, with his saying, فَإِن فَضِلَّ إِحْدَاهُمَا فَتُذَكِّرُوا إِحْدَاهُمَا الْأُخْرَى yani The reasoning behind this, it is indicated in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayat, that it is so that if one of them, one of the two women, errs or forgets, he has placed two women in the place of one man, so that if one of them errs or forgets, the other can remind her. It is due to the woman's being qalilat al-dabd, yani her lack of accuracy or exactitude or precision, precision or objectiveness in general. And that is not necessarily the case for every woman and every man. It is general. Al-Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah further comments as for the Prophet sallallahu description of women as being nuqsan al-deen, falling short in the deen, in the performance of religious duties due to their not performing the prayers, nor observing fasting at the times of their monthly period of menstruation. Perhaps, Al-Imam Nawawi says, perhaps its meaning is misunderstood, though it should not be so, though it should not be misunderstood. On the contrary, its meaning is obvious. The expressions ad-deen, religion, 
قال ايمان faith قال اسلام submission these expressions all share one common meaning as we have previously mentioned in other places we have also expressed previously in a number of places that a ta'at acts of obedience it is also called iman and deen yani the acts of obedience the worship of allah it is also called iman and it is also called deen so that these words ad deen and al iman and al islam and al ta'at these words are used interchangeably in the quran and in the sunnah hence Al-Imam Nawawi says, if this is established, that these words are used interchangeably, having the same meanings in some cases, then we would know that whoever has an increase in his ibadah, in his worship, in his acts of worship, whoever does more worship, will have an increase in his iman. And this is the aqeedah of the Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah, that al-iman increases and decreases. It increases with the increase in acts of obedience, and it decreases with acts of, de- of disobedience. So he said, uh, going on, he said, نُقْسَانَ الدِّينَ Falling short in the performance of religious duties in some cases or in some instances would be considered as sinful in some cases such as in the case of the one who without a legal reason or without a legal excuse abandons the prayers or fasting or other acts of worship which are obligatory upon him. Yani the one who without a legal excuse doesn't perform the prayer or doesn't fast or doesn't perform some other duty that is required according to the Sharia then this is considered sinful. On the other hand there might be instances where the nuqsan al-deen falling short in the performance of religious duties is not considered as sinful such as the one who does not attend the Jumu'ah prayer the Friday prayer or who does not participate in a battle or some other act which is not considered obligatory upon him due to some legal shara'i excuse. That is the one who is excused from going to Jummah because of some reason or who is excused from participating in a battle because of some reason. Then that person, they have not participated in that act, however there is no sin upon them because those people, they are excused due to some excuse in the sharia. In yet other instances, the nuqsan al-deen, al-imam al-nawwi says, Rahimahullah might be such that the person is actually required by the Sharia to abandon such acts of worship. Yani not that they have fallen short and not that they have some excuse to stay away from it, but actually it is obligatory on them not to engage in these acts of worship, as in the case of the woman during the period of menstruation when she is required, yani when it is obligatory and mandatory on her to leave off the performance of prayers and fasting and she is not to be blamed so this is the description also this description is not meant yani nuqsan al-aql wa nuqsan al-deen it is not meant to be blameworthy to be a blameworthy description of the women uh, it is just a statement of the reality of the nature in which Allah has created her due to the hatred for truth you find the hypocrites and the disbelievers speaking, speaking out against this hadith either by distorting its true meaning or declaring the hadith to be weak and unauthentic arguing that the intellect contradicts it or arguing that this hadith is not in agreement with what we find in the real world they are saying that if we look at the women we see that some women are more intelligent than men or some are more righteous than men it is their own misinterpretation of the hadith 
and their general misinterpretation of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they offer other such arguments which only confirm their hatred and distaste and abhorrence for that which the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has been missing with. These people are disbelievers even if they practice that which the text of Quran and Sunnah indicates or requires of them. Since they have not fulfilled the conditions of La ilaha illallah and one of its conditions being al-mahabba or love of that which La ilaha illallah represents and being happy, pleased and delighted with it. As we have mentioned previously and in the brief essay of Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, the shuroot of La ilaha illallah, he said that the conditions for this statement of La ilaha illallah to be accepted are seven, Al-ilm wal-yaqeen, wal-sidq, wal-ikhlas, wal-qubool, wal-inqiyad, wal-mahabba. That a person should have knowledge of the meaning of La ilaha illallah and they should have certainty about it, not having any doubt, and they should say it truthfully and sincerely with ikhlas, accepting whatever comes with it, submitting to and complying with and acting in accordance with what it requires of them and loving it and its meaning. So whoever doesn't love what comes with La ilaha illallah, then they have not fulfilled the conditions or the shuroot of La ilaha illallah and therefore their shahada or their testimony of La ilaha illallah is rejected. On the contrary, they hate and find difficulty with this word La ilaha illallah and their hearts are constrained out of displeasure for what La ilaha illallah represents. And this is exactly the behavior of the hypocrites who practice much of the outward Islamic manners for one reason or another, while all the time harboring disgust and hatred for these things. For this reason, the Prophet ﷺ said in the Sahih Hadith, من قال لا إله إلا الله خالصا من قلبه دخل الجنة That whoever says لا إله إلا الله, meaning it sincerely from his heart, then that person enters the paradise. His saying, خالصاً من قلبه, sincerely from his heart, excludes the munafiqun, the hypocrites, since they don't say it sincerely from the heart, but they only say it in order to protect themselves or to protect their wealth or for some other worldly interests. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning them, as we mentioned in the beginning, وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَتَعْسًا لَهُمْ وَعَدَلَّ عَمَالَهُمْ ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَرِهُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ فَأَحْبَقَ عَمَالَهُمْ That those who disbelieve, for them is destruction. And Allah will make their deeds vain, useless. And this is because they hate that which Allah has sent down, the Qur'an and the Sharia and the Sunnah of the Prophet So He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has made their deeds fruitless. So it is Allah Azza wa Jalla he is the one who has nullified their deeds. He has made their deeds like a fine dust scattered in many directions due to their disgust and hatred for what has been revealed to the Prophet that is the Qur'an, which Allah has made the source of achievement. And it is the Qur'an that Allah has made it the means or the way to achieve, to achieve the best in this world and to have success in this world and in the next for those who adhere to it, obeying what it commands and restraining from what it prohibits. Therefore everyone who detests what Allah has revealed will find his deeds nullified 
even if he practices that thing which he detests, yani even if he acts in accordance with it, his deeds will be nullified because of his hatred for that which Allah has revealed. And this is like the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the same chapter, Surah Muhammad chapter 47 verse 28, hearts of the human beings are between two of the fingers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he turns them however he wills. The hearts are between two of the fingers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he turns them however he wills. It is reported in the sunnah of At-Tirmidhi rahimahullah that Umm Salama radiallahu anha was asked, Ya Umm al-Mu'mineen, O mother of the believers, what was the most often repeated supplication of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he was with you. What did he used to supplicate with more than anything else? She said his most often repeated supplication was Ya Muqallib Al-Kuloob Thabit Qalbi Ala Deenik O the one who turns the hearts, make my heart firm on your deen. She said I said, O Messenger of Allah, why is it that you supplicate so often with the words, Ya Muqallib al-Kuloob, Thabit Qalbi ala deenik? And he, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, he said to her, O Umm Salama, there is no human being whose heart is not between two of the fingers of Allah. Whoever he wishes, he causes his heart to be upright and firm upon the religion of Allah and obedience to him. And whoever he wishes, he causes his heart to deviate from the religion and from his obedience. Man qama wa man It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who causes a person to be upright. He causes their heart to be in obedience to him. And it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who causes the heart to deviate. And the Allah turning the hearts away, it is the hearts of those who themselves turn away. When they turn away, then Allah turns them away. And the proofs of this are many in the Qur'an as well as in the Sunnah. Uh, here, Mu'adh, or Ibn Mu'adh, one of the narratives of the hadith, after mentioning this hadith of Umm Salama radiallahu anha, and the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya muqallib al-kuloob thabbit qalbi ala deenik, then he narrated, or then he recited the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 8. رَبَّنَا لَا تُزِقْ قُلُوبَنَا بَعْدَ إِذْ هَدَيْتَنَا وَهَبْ لَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةٍ إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْوَهَّابِ O our Lord, رَبَّنَا, O our Lord, لَا تُزِقْ قُلُوبَنَا Don't cause our hearts to deviate, yani to deviate from the truth, from your deen. بَعْدَ إِذْ هَدَيْتَنَا After you have guided us. Yani, it is a supplication that the Muslim should keep close and should repeat often, O oh Allah, do not cause our hearts to deviate after you have guided us. And this hadith is reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi. And Al-Imam At-Tirmidhi, rahimahullah, said that this hadith is hasan. It is a good hadith. And it has also been declared to be Hassan Ligayrihi, yani an acceptable hadith, due to other narrations supporting it by Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah, in his book, As-Silsila As-Sahiha. Yani, there are two notes to make in closing. 
two notes of importance related to this topic. And always a Muslim should be cautioned in the matters of takfir, of declaring a Muslim to go out of Islam. When we mention these things, the nawaqid of Islam, we should know that these are sensitive issues. And it is not the right of every Muslim to see another Muslim engaging in some action or saying some word and then declaring that person to be a kafir because they have performed this action, because they have committed such and such act or, or made a statement which may be a statement of kufr or an action which may be an action of kufr. The Muslim should be careful from engaging in the declaring or the ruling of another Muslim to go out of Islam. We should be warned to take these things seriously and not to hasten in ruling and judging others. The first note, one of the things which must be made note of here is that many people, when made aware of some wrongdoing, some munkar that they might be engaging in, refuse to accept what is being said to them. Some people don't accept when you advise them and you tell them that they shouldn't be doing something wrong, especially if they are admonished at the time when they are in the act of committing that thing while they are doing it, especially at that time. It is difficult for the person who is engaging in wrong to accept somebody telling them that what you are doing is haram, that it is sinful. Such a response from someone is not to be considered an indication in absolutely every case that such a person detests or hates what the Messenger of Allah has brought. But there should be consideration of the cause of that person's response. Yani why is it that maybe the person didn't accept the advice when somebody advised them about what they were engaging in? Perhaps such a one has not accepted the truth, what you have brought to him. Not because he means to reject the truth itself, but due to the improper and bad manner in which you have acted in commanding the good and forbidding the wrong. Sometimes when we command people with good and we forbid them with wrong, we have ill manners, bad manners, and we don't know how to address people. And therefore, somebody might reject what you are saying, not because they are rejecting the truth, but it is because of your own ill manners. And this was mentioned by Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani, rahimahullah, in his wasiyah that he left for the Muslims before his death. He said that when you give da'wah to the people, you should be careful of your behavior. He said, so that you will not join your ill manners in calling people to the truth, the weightiness of your ill manners with the weightiness of the truth itself. The truth is already difficult for them to accept. And then you make it more difficult by calling them to it with ill manners, with bad manners. And he warned and he advised the people of truth, the people of sunnah, that when they call people to the right way, whether they are from the kuffar or from amongst the people who have deviated from amongst the Muslims, that they shouldn't join the uh, weight of the haq, which is already difficult for them to accept with the weight of your bad manners in calling the people. Hence, if someone else came to him, such a person, and reprimanded him about the same wrongdoing, but in a fitting manner, perhaps he would accept it and submit to the truth. On the other hand, someone might not accept the truth from you due to some problem which might exist between you and him. Yani a personal problem that you have amongst yourselves in such a situation, one is not to be called a detestor or a hater 
of what the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has come with. We should be careful that we don't declare someone as a rejecter of the truth because they have rejected it for some other reason, not because in fact they intend to reject the truth that is being brought to them. The second issue, it is related to uh, those who demand the sinner to be judged with that which is not required by the Sharia. They demand that the one who shaves his beard, halak al-lihya, or allows his clothing to hang below his ankles, musbil al-izar, or drinks alcohol, sharib al-khamr, they demand, for example, that this person be classified amongst those who detest what the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam has come with, such as the command to grow the beard or the prohibitions of allowing the lower garments to hang below the ankle or the drinking of alcohol. They say to those who commit such acts, this is their argument, it is their rationale, but it is not from the sunnah of the Prophet it is not from the way of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum it is not from the deen of Allah, it is from their own minds. They say to those who commit such acts, if it were not so that you hate and detest the messenger of what the Messenger of Allah وسلم, has brought, yani in the Islamic law and the Sharia, if it were not so that you hate it, then you would not have committed such sinful acts. Yani their argument is that the fact that you have done it means that you hate the law of Allah. And that reasoning is false. It is bottle. It is not from the understanding of the Prophet ﷺ or his companions, that everybody who engaged in an act of sin, it means that they hate and they reject what Allah has revealed. Because it is from the nature of the human being, as Allah has created the human being, that they are sinful. There is no human being that is free of sin. Therefore, it is only upon the human being to repent to Allah when they fall to the weakness and fall into to some sin due to their weakness. This false premise that they have come with, that whoever engage in sin, that means they, that they reject and they detest and they hate what Allah has revealed, this is a false premise and it is an incorrect argument. Indeed, there were from amongst the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, those who fell into some violations of the Islamic law, from amongst Sahaba, such as drinking alcohol, for example, it is reported in the Sahih al-Bukhari on the authority of As-Sayyid ibn Yazid. He said that we used to strike the drunks, yani those people who drink alcohol, we used to strike them with our hands. We used to hit them with our hands or with shoes or with clothes by twisting it into the shape of lashes. During the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in the early part, of the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. This hadith is reported in Sahih al-Bukhari that they used to beat those who were drinking. They used to beat them with their hands or with their shoes or with clothing that they rolled up together and struck them with it as a punishment for their drinking. Yet not one of the companions of the Prophet considered, nor did one of them demand following the above argument that one who committed such an act be classified amongst the disbelievers and the hypocrites who detest what Allah has come with. Yani whoever detests what Allah has come with, what the Prophet has brought, that person is a kafir, that person is a munafiq. But none from amongst Sahaba declared anyone to be in that condition simply or merely because of engaging in some sinful act. On the contrary, 
a drinker of alcohol, was brought before the Messenger of Allah and one of the companions cursed him, saying, ما أكثر ما Oh, how often he is being brought forth for drinking. How often he has been brought forth for drinking. He cursed him. The Messenger of Allah responded by prohibiting that such a person should be cursed and went even further to confirm that man's love for Allah and his messenger. Al-Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah entitled the chapter heading concerning the hadith of this matter. He said, Bab ma yukrah min la'an sharib al-khamr wa innahu laysa bi kharijin min al-millah. This is a very important chapter heading. I note that the chapter headings of Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, from himself, from his own fiqh and understanding of the hadith, he said that what cursing is disliked, yani the cursing of someone who drinks alcohol, it is disliked, and the fact that he is not regarded as a kafir, yani kharij min al-millah, that he has gone out of Islam. It has been reported from Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, under this chapter heading, during the lifetime of the Prophet wasallam, there was a man named Abdullah, whose nickname was Donkey, Himar. He used to make the Messenger of Allah laugh, and the Prophet lashed him because of drinking alcohol. One day he was brought to the Prophet on the same charge, and he was lashed. A man from amongst the people, someone from amongst those who were present when he was being lashed, he said, Allahumma. Uh, Al-anhu, Allahumma al-anhu, oh Allah, curse him. Yani la'natullah, it means that a person should be far removed from the rahmah, from the mercy of Allah. He said, oh Allah, curse him, yani remove him from your mercy. Ma akthara ma yu'tabihi, oh how often he is brought forth. فَقَالَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ لَا تَلْعَنُوهُ, لَا تَلْعَنُوهُ, don't curse him. فَوَاللَّهِ ما علمت إنه يحب الله ورسوله. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Don't curse him." He said, "Indeed, I know for sure that he loves Allah and he loves his Messenger ﷺ." Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, rahimahullah, in his sharh or explanation of this hadith, he has mentioned a number of points or benefits that might be derived from this hadith, and we will mention just a few of them. For the lack of time, uh, the first of them he mentions based on this hadith, and it is important to keep these points in mind when understanding this matter of the person who commits a sinful act and what is their condition and how they should be looked at. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajr al-Sakalani rahimahullah said this hadith contains a refutation against those who claim that the one who commits a major sin becomes a disbeliever since it establishes the prohibition, this hadith establishes the prohibition of cursing such a one and the order to supplicate for him, not to supplicate against him. Yani, this hadith is a proof against those who hold the opinion, the false madhab, that whoever commits a major sin goes out of Islam. And that is the khawarij and the mu'tazila. It also shows that there is no contradiction between a person's commission of a sin and the affirmation of the love of Allah and His Messenger وسلم, in the heart of the one who committed such a sin. Yani, there's no contradiction between a person committing a kabair, a major sin, and still having in his heart love for Allah and His Messenger. There's no contradiction 
between the two. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, affirmed that person's love for Allah and his Messenger, in spite of his sinful behavior. Number three, it, is also further, it also further confirms what was said previously concerning the negation of Iman, of the drinker of alcohol, when he is in the act of drinking. Yani, to the effect that it does not mean that the negation of his, man, his Iman totally but the negation of the perfection of his iman. Yani, the hadith concerning the one who drinks, that his iman is, goes away, he has no iman while he is drinking, or the one who steals, that he doesn't have iman while he is stealing, or the one who commits zina, that he doesn't have iman while he is committing fornication. It doesn't mean that that person is a kafir and he is out of Islam. It means it is a negation of the perfection of his iman, because iman increases and decreases. It increases with acts of obedience and acts of worship of Allah and it decreases with acts of disobedience but it is not negated completely by every act even if it is from the kabaya. it is also possible that the uninterrupted affirmation of the love of Allah and his messenger in the heart of the sinner is on the condition that the sinner sincerely feels regret and remorse concerning his sinful behavior in addition to the legal punishment being implemented in order that the sin be removed as a result of such punishment being inflicted upon him. In his case, or his case is different from the one who feels no remorse for his sinful action. That is different. The one who engages in acts of disobedience and doesn't feel any remorse or any regret for what they have done, in which case it is feared that his rep repetition of the sinful act will leave an impression on his heart if he doesn't repent sincerely and feel remorse until it removes the love of Allah and his messenger from his heart. And we ask Allah to pardon us and to protect us and to grant us well-being and to be saved from such. And the last point from this hadith that we want to mention, Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani says, under this hadith, also in this hadith, is that which indicates the abrogation of the command to execute the consumer of alcohol if he is charged for the fourth or fifth time with drinking. Yani there is the authentic hadith which has been reported from Abu Huraira that the Prophet sallallahu has said if anyone gets intoxicated then lash him and if he gets intoxicated a second time lash him and a third time lash him and a fourth time execute him in some narrations it said strike his neck and it is reported by Imam al-Shafi'i and in the Sunan of Abu Dawud and the Muslim of Imam Ahmed and the Sunan of, of Nasai and the Sahih of Ibn Hibban and that hadith is Sahih However, Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani said that this hadith, it is a proof of the abrogation of the hadith of killing or executing the one who drinks alcohol if he is brought for the fourth or fifth time. Al-Imam ibn Abdul Barr, rahimahullah, the great scholar of the Maliki Madhab, has mentioned that this companion, mentioned in the hadith which we have brought forth, he said that this companion was brought before the Prophet wasallam or brought before those in authority for drinking more than 50 times, more than 50 times. And yet the Prophet ﷺ said, don't curse him for in me, for ma'alimtu, ma'alimtu, And he definitely the Prophet said, I know, not other than this, except that he loves Allah and his messenger. The argument or premise that those who commit major sins must necessarily hate and detest was the messenger of Allah ﷺ has brought We'll stop here, inshallah, for the adhan. After the adhan, there's one paragraph remaining, and then we'll look at the questions, inshallah. Allah.
الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله اللهم صل على محمد اللهم ربنا وصل على محمد 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 وصل and in closing, the argument or the premise that those who commit major sins must necessarily hate and detest what the Messenger of Allah has brought yani in the Sharia or in his Sunnah, that they, it is of necessity that they must hate that which the Prophet has brought or they would not have committed such sinful acts is indeed baseless. Such a premise leads to the conclusion that those who commit major sins are to be considered as disbelievers outside of Islam, since to hate or detest the laws and rulings of the Sharia is an act of kufr, disbelief. Yani the fact that somebody has committed an act doesn't mean that they hate the Sharia. It means that they are human and they are sinful and they have fallen into sin as long as they regret and have remorse for what they have done and turn back to Allah with sincere repentance. Uh, the commission of the major sin is not necessarily in every case a proof that the person hates the Sharia because indeed whoever hates that which the Prophet ﷺ has brought, whoever detests it, then that person has fallen into kufr. This conclusion, yani that whoever commits such an act hates the Sharia and is therefore a kafir, contradicts the belief of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah that those who commit major sins will be subject to the Mashia of Allah. Whoever commits major sins, the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah say that they will be subject to the Mashia of Allah. If Allah wills, He may pardon them. Yani meaning those who commit major sins and do not repent from it and die without repenting. Then on Yawm Qiyamah, they will be subjected to the will of Allah, to the Mashiach of Allah. If Allah wills, He may pardon them for the sin that they have committed and they haven't repented from. If Allah wills, He may pardon them. 
and if he wills, he may punish them according to the gravity of their sins, and then on to their destiny in the paradise. Yani the people who die on Tawheed, that even if they are punished for their sins, which they haven't repented from, even if they are punished, then they will be punished as Allah wills, and then they will enter the paradise, and Allah knows best. Al-Imam al-Tahawi said that we do not declare anyone from amongst the Muslims as a disbeliever because of a sin that he commits, unless the person believes that such an act is not sinful. And he accepts the one who believes in the lawfulness of that which they have committed of haram. Not because of the commission of the sin, but they would be going out of Islam because they have rejected the law of Allah. They have declared what Allah made haram, they have declared it to be lawful. Whoever believes that their sin is lawful, this is an act of kufr. However, the act itself doesn't take a person out of Islam. And this is the aqeedah of Ahl-Sunnah al-Jama'ah. Shaykh al-Islam al-Taymiyyah rahimahullah said, the Ahl-Sunnah al-Jama'ah hold that iman increases through obedience and decreases through disobedience. However, they do not go to the point of attributing kufr in the absolute sense of the word to professing Muslims who are guilty of disobedience or major sins as do the khawarij. Yani kufr in the absolute sense he means yani kufr akbar that takes a person out of Islam al-mukhrij min al-millah. As for minor kufr we can say that these acts are acts of kufr. Therefore we can say it is minor kufr. However, minor kufr doesn't take a person out of Islam. This is kufr amali, kufr in actions. But this is opposed to the way of the khawarij who said that whoever commits major sins is out of Islam. And it is opposed to the way of the Mu'tazila who say that whoever commits major sins is baina manzilatain, between the position of Iman and the position of Kufr, that they are neither a believer nor a disbeliever. However, both the Mu'tazila and the Khawarij are in agreement that the people who commit major sins without repenting from them, that they would be in the hellfire forever. Therefore, both of them, in fact, declare the Kufr of those who commit major sins, and this is contrary to the Madhab or the way of the Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. Indeed, we must accept the Sunnah, the Sharia of Allah and the Deen of Allah. Not only that, we must be pleased with it and we must love it and we must apply it practically in our lives. Not just speech, but we must apply it in our lives. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَقِّمُوكَ فِي مَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتُ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا That I swear by your Lord, Allah subhanahu, wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that He is swearing by Himself that you will not believe until, or they will not believe until they make you, the Prophet sallallahu as the judge in disputes between them. And then they don't find any difficulty or resistance to that which you have ruled. And then they surrender themselves willingly, yani applying that which you have ruled. The Prophet sallallahu Wasallam used to say, رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ رَبًّا وَبِالْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا وَبِمُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ نَبِيًا That I am pleased with Allah as my Lord, and with Islam as my way of life, and with Muhammad وسلم, as my Prophet. And this is the attitude of the true believer, that they do not detest or hate that which Allah has revealed, but they love it, they are pleased with it, and they apply it in their lives. Quickly, if we can look at the questions at the end of the handout. And in the first question, discuss briefly the fifth naqid or nullifier of Islam. And it is that whoever hates anything, whatever it may be, major or minor, of what the Prophet 
has come with, whoever hates it, then that person has fallen into kufr, even if he acts in accordance with that thing that he hates. And the second question mentioned the ayah of the Qur'an which serves as a dalil or a proof of this nullifier, and it is that which is mentioned in Surah Muhammad chapter 47 verse 89, that those who disbelieve that they, there is destruction for them and their deeds would be in vain. And that is because they hated what Allah has revealed and therefore Allah has made their deeds fruitless. Mention a dalil from the authentic sunnah for this particular nullifier and it is from amongst what we have mentioned is the hadith reported by Al-Bukhari that whoever turns away from or is not pleased with my sunnah من رغب عن سنتي فليس مني then he is not from me, he is not from my ummah. What is meant by meant by النفاق الاعتقادي and what are its six types? We said that النفاق الاعتقادي it is hypocrisy in belief as opposed to hypocrisy in actions. And the one who speaks, he lies. And when he promises, he breaks his promise. This is النفاق العملي. But النفاق الاعتقادي is an aqidah. And it takes a person out of Islam. Some of the scholars have mentioned them as six. That is the denial or rejection of the Prophet or the rejection of some of what he has come with. Or the hatred of the Messenger of Allah and the hatred or the hatred of some of what he has come with. Or being pleased with the fall of the deen of the Prophet ﷺ, or the Muslims being overcome, and disliking the victory of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number five, give examples of things disliked from what the Prophet ﷺ has come with in the Sharia. And there are many, those who dislike the prohibition of alcohol, or the prohibition of riba, or the command for marriage instead of living with women freely and the order to grow the beard and so on. Give examples, or is the, number six, is the rule concerning the testimony of two women taking the place of one man a standing rule in, every, in each and every situation? Explain. We said that the testimony of two women taking the place of one man, it is not a standing rule in every situation or circumstance. Indeed, it is in the huquq al-dunyawiyah, in the worldly matters. As for in the matters of deen, such as the narration of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the narration of the woman is equal to the narration of the men. And likewise, in matters that are specifically related to the women, such as the breastfeeding of a child, if the Prophet ﷺ wanted to know if a child has been breastfed by a certain woman, so that there is a relationship between them because of that, that prohibits his marriage to her children, then this is also the situation where the testimony of the woman is given preference over the testimony of men and so on. Likewise, in fatwa, uh, the, the fatwa, the legal ruling of the woman who is a scholar, is equal to the legal ruling of the man. Explain or discuss the meaning of nuqsan al-aql wa deen. In brief, we said that nuqsan al-aql it is, as explained by the Prophet ﷺ, it is in related to testifying. Yani that the testimony of two women takes the place of the testimony of one man, as Allah ﷻ by His mercy has reduced the responsibility upon them. And the nuqsan al-deen, it means in acts of worship, ta'at or ibadat, that the woman has some lacking in acts of worship at the times when she is in menses or when she is prohibited from praying and fasting and so on. Mention the dua of the Prophet ﷺ from Umm Salama radiallahu anha concerning firmness. And this dua is a dua that a Muslim should keep on his tongue and supplicate with regularly. 
يا مقلب القلوب ثبت قلبي على دينك make my heart firm on your deen if someone rejects advice when told about their sinful behavior is this a proof that they dislike or hate what the prophet has come with in brief we can say this is not a proof in and of itself but other considerations has to be looked at whether or not that person is in fact rejecting the advice that is being given to them because of the way it is being given to them because of the ill manners of the one who is warning them or commanding them with good or forbidding them from evil or because of some problem between those people or some other factor. So it is not an absolute fact that whoever rejects the advice concerning their sinful behavior is in every case to be considered as one who dislikes or hates what the Prophet ﷺ has come with, but every situation has to be examined. And the last question is the fact that someone commits a sinful act, a proof that such a person hates or dislikes what the Prophet ﷺ has come with in the Sharia explain. We said that the commission of a sinful act is not in and of itself a proof that a person hates or dislikes what the Prophet ﷺ has come with. Indeed, it is possible that a person might commit major sins and at the same time have love of Allah and love of the Messenger of Allah as reported in the Hadith of Al-Bukhari about the companion who was brought before the Prophet ﷺ many times for drinking alcohol and the Prophet ﷺ prohibited that they curse him. In fact, he said that he testified that he knows that this person loves Allah and his Messenger. So the commission of a major sin is not in and of itself a proof that someone hates what Allah has revealed, but the situation has to be examined. And perhaps we might take one or two questions, if there are any questions or comments or corrections. Uh, I think there's about four minutes remaining before the comment. If anybody has a short question. If not, then we will stop here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka.